You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Four, three, two, one, and ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 26 of The Art of Move with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar. We're out here in the Canadian Rockies trying to find the grand unified theory of human movement. And today is an exercise uh, in uh, you know open conversation that I'm really excited about. We're going to be talking about myofascial release, uh, which is a, a pretty polarizing topic in the fitness industry and in the athletic world. Some people think it's a total waste of time. Some people don't understand it. Uh, some people are doing it completely wrong and not getting anything out of it. Other people swear by it. I took a little bit of a poll on my Instagram, uh, at the body moves. So you can follow me on Instagram if you want to kind of take part in these polls. But I had two questions. One was, is foam rolling a waste of time? The so foam rolling is one of the most common understandings of what myofascial release is, is like for those you don't know what foam rolling is. It's almost you you have this like foam cylinder or some foam implement and you roll your body on it and it's almost like a form of self-massage. Uh, 42% of voters said that foam rolling is a total waste of time. 58% said no, it's valuable. Uh, you know, from the people that I know who said it's valuable, a lot of them are weightlifters, CrossFit athletes, friends who I know from the gym back when I was more involved in, uh, in weightlifting. Uh, the follow-up question was, what about myofascial release in general? So not necessarily foam rolling, but the practice of myofascial release. 82% said it's useful, and 18% said it's useless. So even though 58% said, or sorry, 42% said, uh, you know, foam rolling is a waste of time, most of the people, 82% said myofascial release in general is useful, just not necessarily foam rolling. So I wanted to talk about, you know, you as a chiropractor, you do a lot of manual release therapy with your patients. Um, you do a lot of very innovative work with myofascial release. Um, let's start with something really fundamental for, for the listeners. What could you say myofascial? How would you define myofascial? Because to me, I hear myo relating to muscle fiber and fascial, obviously relating to fascial tissue. And, and, the idea of releasing myofascia is almost like this vague, ambiguous thing. Everyone says it maybe without knowing a definition of it. So if you were going to define myofascia or myofascial release, how would you explain that to, to, to someone who's never heard of it before? Well, I mean, the way that people usually use it is um, myofascial release is just a kind of a marketing term, right? It's mm. an easy way to say I'm going to roll my body. Okay, whether it be with a foam roller or an implement, whatever, right? To me, it's more, it's deeper than that. It's learning how to take care of your own body, whether that means using implements, whether it means uh, going to a therapist, you have to learn how to take care of your own body and maintain it. Okay, so when we're talking about myofascia, they're talking about muscles and fascia, but really you can, uh, you can manipulate anything bone even okay that's that's a different story but you can manipulate any soft tissues in your body and uh that's what you really want to do with the whole technique it's not just muscles and fascia but 
an easy way to tell people is just, yeah, roll your muscles in fascia, myofascial release, release the muscle that's tight. And, and so, you know, when, when people are thinking of myofascial release, like I said, the, the image that is evoked for most people is rolling around on a foam roller or a lacrosse ball, you know, pressing the lacrosse ball deep into your, your joints or your, or, you know, the, the sort of the, the connective tissue that feels really bound up. I remember for me when I was doing a lot of CrossFit to prep for anything related to an overhead position, it was always in the rhomboids and in the upper and lower traps. I would smash that and then I would, you know, you know, release some of these muscles that are really, really tight and I could have an easier access to an overhead position. What's actually happening when you're say laying on a lacrosse ball and someone's actually, you know, you're saying, okay, well, I'm doing myofascial release with a lacrosse ball. Uh, Is it, is it mostly a neurological adaptation? Is there a tissue uh, something happening on the tissue level, like what's actually happening? Well, that's a good question. Um, you are in general making quick changes to your nervous system, which is allowing you access to a new range of motion. The key is always to use that new range of motion so that you can acquire a, a, you know, your brain and your nervous system to understand that you can be in that new range of motion. Okay. But a lot of people in the CrossFit community and, and, and bodybuilding, powerlifting, and I, I did this as well, is I want to foam roll my lats, let's say, the example that you just did, so I could, you know, get into a snatch or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those activities themselves may be making the tissues tight neurologically, right? So you're buying yourself a small amount of window to be able to perform the task, but in the long run, it's not going to do that much, okay? Because you're not treating your body as a body, you're trying to do an athletic endeavor. Okay. So mm-hmm. it really comes down to goals with this stuff. It's like, what is the goal when you're doing uh, a release of a muscle? Again, when you're compressing the muscle and, and laying on it, like most people do when they foam roll, it is mostly neurological change that's allowing you to that, that new range of motion. However, if you do it over and over and over again, you may have some actual structural tissue changes. What kind of tissue changes could you foresee? Like, let's let's use the example of like laying on a lacrosse ball to, you know, open up your trap, uh, your your upper traps or something. What kind of tissue adaptations would you see over time if you're doing it over and over and over again? Well, uh, you really do want to have like an internal input. So the external input will always be what you're rolling on. That's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, foam roller, lacrosse ball, that is making an external input in your body, but you also have to do internal inputs. So if I release the muscle, let's say my trap, I would need to move the trap afterwards with my input Mm. in order to make a neurological lasting change. Force is the tissue or the language of the tissues, of language of the cells. You have to implement force with your own body in your own mind and your own nervous system in order to make a lasting change with that tissue. So you can only do so much from the outside. And this is why you'll see people foam rolling for 45 minutes and not getting any lasting change and then think it's a waste of time, right? Because they forgot to actually input anything in their own body. Right. Right. So, so even though that might, okay. So, so the way I'm kind of hearing it, we've talked in previous episodes with that whole episode on, on fascia and how fascia behaves and that, 
external inputs will train your innervated fascia, like this web of tissue that, you know, is, is interlinked with all these different nerves and will start behaving in a different way. Like you can train your fascia to act elastic or to act stiff to, you know, produce more force. And you can, you can basically train your fascia to behave in these certain ways with the way that you move and the way that you train. You can also sort of, uh, you know, have these external implements that are digging in and maybe letting go of some of these, like releasing some of these neurological holding patterns within the tissue. Right. Cause, cause again, fascia will hold a neurological pattern. It almost sounds like you're breaking up the neurological pattern temporarily so that you have a window of opportunity to input a new neurological pattern, which is that, is that right? That's exactly right. You're implementing the new uh, neurological input with your own movement. So you're creating a window of opportunity where you're allowed to move in a larger range of motion. It's up to you to input your nervous system that you're, you're uh, good with going in that new range of motion. So whenever I get, like, let's say I worked on a shoulder today and I worked on the capsule of the shoulder. I did uh, various myofascials techniques, uh, really deep cupping and uh, really deep massage into the capsule of the joint. I made a temporary change in that capsule. It's going to allow the person to move in a new range of motion. Okay, so we're talking, you know, a, a significant amount, 20 or 30 degrees more than they could. This is a range of motion they haven't touched in months because they were injured. Now, your brain is going to be scrambled. Your brain and your nervous system are going to be scrambled in that range of motion. So I get the person to do very, very gentle exercises in that new range of motion so that their nervous system can know it's okay to be there. Then, because they were there as well, the tissue adapts. The cells have seen it. it. It has that length now. You repeat over and over and over again, and that's how you make changes in the tissue. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, like I literally experienced that firsthand yesterday when I came into the office. We were, you know, um, we were just hanging out and talking about stuff. But you, you used that cupping machine. So, so for those who don't know what cupping is, there's, you know, there's an implement. I have one here. Actually, I have a cup. This one's made out of silicone. And, uh, and it will create suction and it will pull the fascial tissue. It'll pull blood. It'll open stuff up with this suction, this vacuuming sort of uh, action. And, and Will has this machine that actually has a vacuum and he'll, he'll, he'll use his finger to release the, the vacuum and, and kind of adjust how much pressure is being actually sucked up and, and sucking in that tissue. Um, and you did that on my shoulder for like, I don't know, not even three, three to five minutes, right? And the amount of range that I had, you know, because I did just have my shoulder surgery, but like my internal rotation, especially, which by the way, I've maintained most of that, that range gain that you did, that you, that you saw yesterday, I could barely touch my back pocket. And then I was able to lay my hand flush to my lower back um, with, with internal rotation, which I, you know, I haven't had basically since my surgery in, you know, almost a month ago now. So it's it's really cool because that that increase of range, pain free range specifically. It's like every time I've been moving into these different positions, my my body, my nervous system has been signaling. It's like be careful because you know like you had an injury there, you just had your surgery there, um, you can't move in that range. It, it was basically my nervous system was signaling that that it was dangerous to be moving in that range. When you did some of that myofascial release work or that cupping work. I was able to move in these ranges without having that like fight or flight, like abort mission signal from my 
from my shoulder. It was really, really interesting because again, like I'd been experiencing this pain and this sort of like alarming like signal to stop moving in that range literally since my shoulders had been injured right um so 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 i find that interesting right uh, is it say it like my question is too if you're moving into some of these ranges could you run into the issue of moving into actually unsafe ranges could you have like a false signal of, of safety where your, your tissues aren't actually able to move safely in that range well well that's the fear right that's the fear that you that uh the cupping in this case very high powered cupping is taking away that signal that's coming from your the capsule of your shoulder that's the it's taking that signal away and scrambling it is it dangerous no not really if you go very 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 slow that's the whole thing when you acquire a new range you cannot go fast you cannot you got to treat it like you've never been there okay and you're exploring you're literally an explorer in a new territory you don't just run up okay so you have to go very slow your body will accept it um and you know your tissues will adapt it's just a question of how long right um it's not uncommon to actually keep the ranges of motion after something like a cupping the cupping that i do is very deep so i find that the ranges keep for longer if you do it on your own and you do it with like foam rolling or lacrosse ball the changes are very temporary right but you can still use that window of opportunity after you lacrosse ball your shoulder to get in that new range of motion and you will still get a lot of benefit out of that right so um to answer your question there's not really a danger if you're going super slow right and i mean i've used back when i was weightlifting a lot the way that i would use myofascial release would be uh specifically with squats at least squats as an example because that's like sort of kingpin exercise of the gym bro. Um, to get as deep as I could in my squat, I would foam or I would, I would, you know, do some foam rolling and some trigger point therapy stuff for my calves, for my hips. Um, I would get right into my hamstrings so that I had as much range as possible in my hips. And then, you know, I did go fast, right? Like I would, uh, you know, load up three, 400 pounds and let myself sink ass to fucking grass, which I couldn't necessarily do. I was still, you know, maintaining tension as much as I could. And I would, you know, I worked up to that, that weight, but I gave myself, you know, maybe like you said, an extra few degrees of range that I wouldn't have if I hadn't done that release work beforehand. Um, now that's that's a weightlifting context, right? But if you're if you're thinking in terms of it's a very very easy example where it's you know it's a it's a linear pattern, it's a squat. If you're talking about using myofascial release to improve someone's movement, um, you know, what would you say is the lowest hanging fruit that someone? What what context would a person use that in to improve their movement as a low hanging fruit? Oh, um, it, it would depend where your issues are. Okay, so. There's different reasons. I'm, I'm going to answer that question a little bit later. Let's go into okay. the reasons why um, <clears throat> why somebody would want to release something in the first place or why something's tight in the first place. You have to figure that out. Like as a therapist, I have to figure that out because they don't muscles just don't get tight for no reason. Okay, so it could be your body putting the brakes on something. Let's say if you have arthritis in your hip, 
you're not supposed to go in full range of motion anymore. Your muscles are going to, your subconscious is going to tighten up those muscles and those, uh, that fascia. So you don't go in those large ranges of motion. You, you can't, you have no business there because your joint can't handle it. So why would it give you the length and the, and the range of motion to do it? So in that case, if somebody goes in and let's say they have arthritis in their hip, they're supposed to be tight and not be able to do all the ranges of motion uh, because it, it's going to hurt their body, but they go in and they release all the muscles and then go into a deep squat, they're going to hurt themselves pretty fast, right? That's an extreme example. That's not usually completely the case for everybody, but muscles are tight a lot of the times because they're putting brakes on something and it's brakes on feeling safe, whether that is movement, like you not feeling safe in a movement because you haven't seen it before or your body detecting that it's not safe at a joint level because the joints either don't have that room or range. And uh, so you have to be careful in that context. It's not all about getting the most range of motion possible on every joint. It's about finding out why you don't have those ranges of motion in the first place. That precedes right. what, why I would foam roll certain areas. Okay. Now to get back to the question, every single person could use a little bit of myofascial release on their spine and on their hips. Okay. As a maintenance piece. And I do that easily with two baseballs, lacrosse or, uh, sorry, um, hockey tape, two baseballs and spending 20 seconds at each segment of the spine and just relaxing on it. If it feels good, you know, sometimes you get on spots that are like seven out of 10. And it's usually a, a good type of pain. It feels good. Okay. Stay there for 40 seconds, a minute, whatever. Right. This is a very gentle way to make sure that you've at least touched each part of your spine and, you know, gave it a little bit of care. And if you do have a problem at one of the segments and you get there, it'll usually be a lot more painful than the other areas. Okay. And that'll give you an idea of where you're at. Now that also doubles up as a relaxation piece. So relaxing your spine should take you three minutes. Anybody can do it. And it's very, very easy. Yeah. And then, so, so what context would a person start relaxing their spine? Um, What's the best time to start doing that? Cause, cause you know, there's, there's always, you know, we've talked a lot about the spinal engine. Um, a lot of lifters are, you know, looking at spinal stability to kind of, you know, basically not have their spine collapse under the loads of lifting weights. Mm -hmm. um, but in the context of, you know, good movement where we're looking to have fluidity of our spine, um, but we still, you know, our spine is still a structure that's holding up our entire body. It's like the, it's the, the center column of our entire structure, right? It does initiate movement and force, but what, what's the context of, you know, when you're taking those, those two, baseball or those two lacrosse balls taped together and you're going down each segment. Um, when would you do that? I would do that as I think that everybody accumulates tension during the day. People who, you know, are office workers accumulate and, and I'm talking being tense, you know, stress wise, or, um, the fact that you haven't moved makes you tense on a weightlifter. They're tense because they have heavy axle loads on their spine. <laughs> Okay. So everybody can use a little bit of turning down that tension knob during the day. And it's a very easy way to do it. Rolling your, I would call it rolling your spine 20 seconds at each segment. I use a, um, a very intricate rubber piece that, um, I don't know how to describe it, but basically it's, it's very pointy and I go with 
each vertebrae, I give it 20 seconds, right? Very much like the two baseballs, but more uh, pinpointed, okay? So my intention with this for me is I come home after a day and, you know, I'm maybe five out of 10 wound up, nothing too bad. Usually Um, I ran, you know, maybe 10K or something like that, did some boxing. It's time to put two minutes into just relaxing your spine and taking it from a five to a four, three. A lot of people are really wound up. They're at like an eight, nine. They're really, really tense. They can wind down to a seven and it takes them two, three minutes. Then I would add in, if you want to make real change, very light motion afterwards. Okay. And that is actually getting the spine to move under a relaxed neurological state. I just went from a, let's say an eight out of 10 to a six out of 10. And now I'm moving my spine at a six out of 10. It's Mm -hmm. going to accept that. And you do it day after day after day, all of a sudden your spine isn't as tense anymore. Right. Um, that's more along the lines of how I look at it versus, uh, actually rolling or trying to make changes in the tissue. I'm trying to relax my spine daily. This is, this is a really interesting point that I kind of want to pivot off of because what you just said, this idea of people being wound up to like an eight or a nine throughout the day because of the stress of their life. Um, people don't really understand that muscle tension and, you know, being tight in certain areas, this is a nervous system condition. This is a condition of, of like, of your, your nervous system firing muscles off and firing, you know, like creating tension in different parts of your body. It's a nervous system effect. And I remember two years ago or more, it might've been more because I still had hair back then, but I found this old video and it was, uh, you know, we were, you and I were in the Bow River up to our necks while the water was freezing. You were talking about this idea of, you know, sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system toning. Uh, There's this really interesting book uh, called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And it talks about how like a zebra can get attacked by a lion or like, you know, be be, be assailed by a predator and go into this highly nervous state, this fight or flight reaction where it's like it has to get away or it's going to get eaten by a fucking lion. And then within 15 minutes or less, it can shake itself off and be just like like totally chill again. Contrasting it to human beings who live in this state of heightened arousal almost 24-7. You know, we're, we're, we're so bad at being able to come into this relaxed, chilled out, rest and digest state. The fight or flight mode is almost chronic and you can see it reflected in our culture. The amount of caffeine that we consume, the amount of stimulation that we're always exposed to, the amount of stressful news that we just have like constant inundation with. Uh, not to mention, you know, like a lot of our social relationships uh, or, or work relationships end up being very stressful because there's always this sort of, um, you know, keeping up with appearances or political correctness or, or whatever it happens to be, you're always on alert. You're always, you know, trying to protect something, protect your social status, protect your safety, protect your, you know, your, your financial status. There's, there's this protection, this overstimulation, and our nervous systems are overstimulated all the time. Um, you know, you and I live in the mountains, and we have the benefit of going out into nature and experiencing how that can change your whole state. You know, we were talking the other day about it's like, man, two, two hours a day minimum in, in nature should be the norm. And, you know, part of, part of the reason I think that is, is because of that, you know, sympathetic versus parasympathetic, uh, you know, toning, 
the ability to sort of be at ease and be in a in a, an almost relaxed, almost flowing with life state as opposed to being on this nervous on guard state all the time. So myofascial release, do you think myofascial release could actually affect your, your nervous system tone as well and kind of help get you into that more sort of like rest and digest state? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I use it for, for the most part. I'm not trying to break up tissue. Uh, I'm trying to get my body more relaxed. Now, there's cheat codes to this, right? Like rolling your capsules of your, you know, of your hips or shoulders, you're going to get more juice out of that than you will an actual muscle. Okay. Because the capsules really dictate the tone. Okay. Before the muscles mm. do. However, you can roll a muscle as well and, and do that. Um, but I do use it more for changing my state than I do for, uh, for actually changing tissues okay now that's not exactly true because you can do both but how i use it on a daily basis is more for toning down the nervous system I, like right before i sleep i'll do uh, a roll along my spine two three minutes again gets me from a five to a four i'm gonna say let's say i've done a big hike i'm at like a seven i can bring it down to a four pretty quickly then i do gentle movements my body accepts it i can sleep better now Okay, that's just an example there, but it really is a practice and you become better and better at it. Okay, and I know when my detection system has become heightened. So I know if something is tightening up, I know it right away. From what I see from patients in the office, most people don't have this intricate system of figuring out when their muscles are tight. So um, it becomes tighter, tighter, tighter. Um, what I really wanted to say was each part of the body, this is very hard to explain, but it's almost like a scared animal. Like your nervous system is intelligent on its own. Like not everything goes up to your brain. A lot of the signals of your body go straight to the spinal cord and then back to the muscles. So your spinal cord's like the little brain, right? And let's say you've injured yourself on the right lower half of your back. Okay, let's just say that. I look at that part as like, it becomes like a scared animal in itself. Okay. And you have like, my goal as a therapist, and this might sound weird is I, I look at that. If someone comes in with an injury like that and I'm like, okay, I got to calm this down. It's, it's a scared piece of tissue right now. It's, it's a scared animal and I have to calm it down and then I have to let it move like it's designed to move. And that's how I restore, you know, it's not, mm. uh, it's not the other way around. It's, it's really your tissues have their own intelligence within your body, but not up to your brain. So you don't get the conscious signals of these things. Right. Okay. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's the one thing that, um, when people think that consciousness only happens in the brain, like you have, you have, you have all these nervous system signals, like, you know, even, even in your gut, for example, you have like more serotonin produced in your gut than you do in your actual brain, right? Like we have, our body is our brain, our nervous system going throughout our tissues. That is our brain. Our, you know, the gray, the lump of gray matter in your skull is only one part of your, of your, your, your center of intelligence, but it's spread throughout your entire body. I think that's something that's really important to, uh, to realize. And when you, when, but when you give the example of like, Hey, these, these signals don't even make it all the way up to the brain. It's just relaying between the, the, you know, the spinal column and the actual nerves in the tissues. 
that's something that's like I didn't I didn't know that <laughs> I had no idea I thought it was all I thought it always had to go all the way back up to the brain these are just firing back and forth with each other um when when you're talking about the joint capsule versus the muscle I think that's something that I'd like to dive deeper into because because sure. firsthand I don't really understand what you mean like I could go in and I could press like in between the joints and get, but it still feels like I'm adjusting muscle tissue with like around the joint capsule when you're trying to get into the joint capsule you're trying to get that deep release work how does that differentiate than you know pressing against the muscles uh, like around the joint okay so the joint capsule let's and let's just take the shoulder and the hip they're very similar uh the capsule really is a blend of tendons and ligaments coming into the to the actual let's say ball and socket in your shoulder the muscles become uh tendons and they insert into the uh into the actual joint and that's what makes the capsule that surrounding tendinous ligament um uh capsule right and that's where a lot of the nerve endings lay so you can basically work only that section and get a lot more that's like an 80 20 thing right mm -hmm. where you are working where those tendons are and you're working those tendons in the capsule and that releases a lot more and allows more motion of the actual joint so keep in mind that your joint not moving in its full range of motion won't allow muscles to loosen up neurologically right your nervous system will not allow muscles to chill if it detects that the capsule is tense okay so if you release the capsule then the muscle tone the nervous system will allow relaxation in the muscle hmm. okay um that's why you would go for the capsule first before the muscle and the capsule relays straight to the brain this is different the capsule will relay straight to the brain okay hmm. Hmm. um and and so basically the capsule has its own priority system over muscles neurologically okay so again that's why the 80 20 is there it is you're you were getting the length out of the muscle already getting the muscle to relax by just working the capsule now how to work the capsule that's a different story but you do want to focus on the capsules I, I think that must be the the FRC philosophy right like when they're doing all those joint articulations and and you know owning these articulations that they're trying to signal more within the joint capsule than the muscle to create that safety of movement. I think that must be their philosophy. Um, or yeah. even, you know, whether, whether advertently or not. Um, so let's talk like in terms of actual technique, right? Because I've, I've seen a lot of people just kind of like flop onto a foam roller and myself included, you know, I've been guilty of just being like, all right, I'm going to, you know, roll myself around on this foam cylinder until I find a place that hurts and then I'm going to roll it out like a rolling pin. But uh, when you're actually talking about creating an input using an external implement, um, I remember the difference that I had in even just changing the way that I was breathing and not making a scrunched up face. I remember starting to cue that with people when, when I was doing, uh, you know, manual release stuff. I'd be like, try to relax your face as much as possible because when you create a, a scrunched up face, you're signaling to your nervous system that you're in pain and it's not safe and you're you're creating tension right so it's like if you can relax your face and you can try to you know signal to the rest of your body subconsciously that you can relax a little bit more then maybe that area will relax as well 
with this external input. So, you know, rather than just flopping onto a foam roller and, and finding a place that hurts, once you do find a place that does have a little more tension or, or you find that spot that you want to release, what are some uh, cues or some things that you have in mind that can make the technique effective for releasing that area? Yeah, okay, so um, this one's tough without showing. Okay, first off, most people are terrible at foam rolling. Like from what I see just walking around, most people have no idea what they're doing and they're just on the phones rolling up and down. That is 100% not going to be effective, okay? So forget that. You have to really mind-muscle connect. There's no escaping this. You have to be present with what you're doing, okay? Mm. Um, it's a skill, and you have to practice the skill. And if you don't practice the skill, then, I mean, it's better off to go and get someone to do it for you, right? <laughs> like, um, So back to the question. Let's say I wanted to release my quads, okay? Let's just say that that's the case. Um, you don't just get up on it and start rolling up and down. First off, rolling up and down is not the way to do it. 100% that is not the way to do it. You wanna pin the muscle and get underneath the muscle. For me, usually my goal is to, like I have the goal of getting next to the bone. I wanna get that deep, deep tissue. Now, how I do that is I, I play with the layers of fascia. Very hard to, to describe, but I use slant boards and I use pressure. So I'll be laying down. Let's say we're doing my quads. I'm on that slant board and I have my quads slightly tilted to the side so I can access the side of my muscles. And then I roll onto the middle of the muscle and apply pressure. So I have my skin slack is out. Okay, I have my skin pulled one direction. I've almost like I'm on purpose trying to pull back all the layers of the muscle and get closest to the bone as possible. Then mm. I'm relaxing into that area and letting my body feel it. Usually that's excruciating in terms of like, um, if someone hasn't done it before, it's, it's going to be ultra painful and their tissues probably messed up in that area anyway. So it'll be a lot easier for them to get a stimulus. For me, I have to get pretty deep now. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting underneath my muscles closer to the bone. I'm letting my body relax on it using the body weight and relaxation. Then afterwards, once my muscles are relaxed neurologically, that's when I'll do range of motion exercises. Now it's go to exercises. But in the past, I would do more like functional range conditioning where I take the end range and I move my muscles slowly in that range of motion. Mm. Still do it sometimes, but... The goal is once I release it, I want to play with the new range of motion in slow and controlled environments. Sometimes, since I'm really into this, I'll work my way back up to a fast environment, a mm. faster motion, but that's more advanced, right? Like for someone just starting out, release the muscle, get deep. The easiest way to do it is just lay on it. Don't move it. Breathe, relax till it actually lets go itself. And then slow range of motion exercises with the muscles you just released. So if, if you were going to create almost like a narration of the experience, because you, you end up, you know, yesterday you were showing me some techniques. You, you showed me like a self quad release using the weight of my elbow. We did that. We pulled the skin to one side, folded through that, those layers of, t of tissue. And I got into my quad in a way that I've never been able, I've used everything i've used the theragun i've used the theracane i've used lacrosse balls i've gotten into weird angles you literally got me to lean on my quad with my elbow 
and my eyes popped out of my head, right? So it's, it was excruciating. I've never felt anything that deep or that intense. And then even saying it's like, relax your shoulder, right? So, so when you, when you go into that state, the initial response is excruciating pain usually, right? Because there's something jacked up about the tissue. There's going to be a, a, a response of, t of tension of the, of that, like it's literally that signal to your body. And basically what you have to understand is what you're trying to do is you're trying to condition your body to not have that fight or flight response, that pain response. So the goal, would you say, uh, you know, this is my speculation is you're trying to consciously draw your attention to that area to, to the degree that you can relax into it. And despite the pain, allow the tension to sort of be at ease instead of being tense, because that's the initial response is tension is, is to like jack yourself up, your eyeballs pop out of your head, your shoulders, you know, hike up towards your ears because it's in your muscles flex to protect it. It's to, to release that and to kind of let go of that protective response. And the more that you consciously do that, that's the whole point. That's the relaxation point. It's not that the point isn't to just massage in or roll over a place that hurts. You're actually trying to create a nervous system adaptation by consciously relaxing a place that wants to tense up to protect itself. Is that right? Yeah. Like everything you just said is, is true. And again, like, let's say somebody who's never got into their quads before that scared animal analogy is very applicable here because if you touch it, it's just like, Whoa, no, you know, like it, it, it has a certain tension that it's had for a long time and you're disrupting that. Okay. Mm. So, um, if you can just relax using your own intuition and, and your breathing and only go to a seven out of 10 for some people that might be, uh, you know, grabbing a 25 pound plate, let's just say, and, and placing it on their quad and just mm. letting it sit there. Okay. And playing with contracting and relaxing their quad that could work, right? If someone's mm. in a, you know, a scared enough state, okay. That scared animal state on their quad, that might be enough. In fact, if you were to tear your quad, that would be more than enough. You would feel that feeling, right? So, um, basically it's to your level. Right. For me now, I have to get in there a little bit more, but my quad has released, you know, over the last couple of years, I mean, 200%. It's, it's a completely different quad because I was consistent with this. I did the lengthening work. It's still not where I want it to be at all, but it was mm. terrible before there was no length in my quad. It was, you know, poke it and I would flip. I could mm. squat a lot, but I couldn't get my quads touched. Right. They were in that scared of a state. So really the easiest way is to get a heavy implement and just place it on your quad. Uh, someone showed me a, it's something called the, the giant pill or something like that. It's, it's like a hundred pound, okay. uh, like metal piece that power lifters use to, to smash their quads with. Okay. Huh. So I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's, it's a giant metal thing. It looks like a weight and they, it's like a hundred pounds and they used it to smash their quads. So for me, for a, a power lifter, you'd be doing the same thing. You'd be placing a heavy weight on the quad and mm. just contracting, relaxing, or just letting it place there. I, I would make sure the skin is moved over. The muscles are moved over and you're trying to get in deep. Now that takes skill. It's hard for me to describe what I'm doing there. Right. But 
I'm moving the muscles aside and getting deeper. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Now, again, when I do that, you go from a seven out of 10 to a five out of 10, then you do dental exercises at that five out of 10. So your body accepts it. Okay. Mm. Now, if you become more in tuned with your body, if you move better, you're going to have to myofascial release a lot less. Okay. And if you're one of those lucky people who is, well, 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 why is that? Why, why would you have to myofascial release less if you're in tune with your body? You're going to build less tension. Okay. Like, uh, now let's say with my back, I can feel the tension. I have that, uh, detection system really, really down. I know exactly what's happening at each level of my back because I'm very in tune with it. I, I can move it intricately. I know exactly what's going on there. Right. So the amount of tension that I build up during the day is very minimal unless I'm, you know, hiking 20 K or, or doing something extreme, I might build up some tension. And then at the end of the day, I release it. It takes me two or three minutes. Right. But the average person doesn't have that, uh, detection system in at almost anywhere in their body. The first detection is usually pain for most people. That's what mm. they start. Feeling, right. And well, before I ever get to pain, I have 10 layers of detection before I even get there, unless it's an acute injury. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really interesting because what came to mind there for me, um, I always think about like muscle tone when people think it was like, oh, I got these toned muscles. It's your, that's your muscles in a partially flexed state almost all the time. Right. And you're conditioning your body to when you're training mind muscle connection in a bodybuilding context, you're doing it to be able to consciously and actively flex your muscles and lifting weights is a stimulus that teaches you the skill of being able to consciously flex your muscles. This is really interesting because it sounds like myofascial release can be a training input to consciously train yourself to actively release that tension. So as opposed to creating that chronic muscle tone or consciously create that muscle tone, it would be to release that tension when it doesn't serve you. Right. And because if you think about what, what you're doing in myofascial release, you're, you're, you're easing off into it, you're relaxing into it and you're consciously letting go of tension that like that, that would basically unconsciously be there. So what you just said, it's like, yeah, I mean, like I don't have to release as much because I know I can just relax when I start to feel that excess tension because you've trained your body to be able to do that. You've given your, you know, it's the same way that you would lift weights as an external stimulus you would have this, you know, a myofascial release implement, like a lacrosse ball of a roller or whatever it happens to be. And you would teach your body to relax that particular area. Um, and then obviously like the, 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 the more you practice that, the less you need that external stimulus, right? Like obviously with lifting weights, you need to maintain that a little bit more if you want to lift the, the same amount of weight, but you can still always flex your muscles. Like you don't lose your ability to actively consciously flex your muscles if you're practicing it. So that, that was really interesting. That's I, I, like, would you say that's true? Cause that's, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're teaching yourself the skill of, of actively relaxing tension out of your body. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I use it for. That's what I'm doing when I, uh, myofascial release, I'm not trying to release specific muscles for no reason. Um, I am trying to give specific inputs into my body so that I'm able to relax those uh, parts and then I input uh, movements through what I do, my own power 
inputs the movements under less tension. Therefore, my body starts accepting that I can move with less tension after I do this over and over and over again. And it's always the same formula, always, okay? If you wanna make changes to your tissues, relax them, move them in their range of motion, and do it in a, yeah, a relaxed state, and that'll give you new inputs, okay? But if you don't, if you were to just foam roll and then not do any of the movements afterwards, you're not gonna get the inputs. You're not gonna, get that relaxed nervous system to happen over and over and over again. You're not practicing anything. So mm. if you roll first and then you move, you're practicing movement under less tension, under less stress. Okay. Now, if you don't move afterwards, you're still going to be relaxed, but you never inputted anything. You never learned anything. You never practiced anything. Therefore you won't get the movements in the new range of motion. Okay. So if you only, Foam roll, don't do the movements, you're getting like 10%, 20% of what you should. And that's why most people fail with it and, and waste their time with it. You have to put the inputs afterwards. Or you don't have to, you should, because you'll get more out of it. You know, one of the paradigm shifts that I sort of went through, even since starting this podcast with you and, and having more conversations like this, my old mentality used to be a strong body was like always turned on. Right, coming from a powerlifting background, it was always trying to develop the muscle as much as possible, develop strength in every part of my body so that I could handle, you know, tension at any point. And one of the big, big shifts that I've experienced since talking to you more about this has been the idea that you only want to have stuff turned on when it's necessary. Like you, you create tension by being in, in the right joint angles, and tension will naturally arise. You don't have to consciously uh, flow ups. Eric Tessie, one of, one of these uh, go-to coaches who I really like, he, he had a really cool post the other day, and it said, a go-to coach will never ask you to flex a muscle. However, these muscles will indeed flex as a byproduct of alignment, pressure, and torque. We don't think about squeezing or contracting muscle, muscle tissues around here. If you have to flex the muscle so that it activates, you should ask yourself why it isn't already activated in the first place. The human body is primarily designed for coupled rotary motion within the framework of driving force forward in space. And basically, you know, this, this idea of, you know, put your, put your body in the right, you know, angles and it will naturally flex the muscles that need to flex. If the other muscles are relaxed, then you can go into that area and you can take advantage of the elastic recoil. You can take advantage of the fascial tissue, which is, is, you know, producing force without, muscular contraction happening on its own. Um, so, so this this idea of being able to have things relaxed as they need to be relaxed, like it, only flexing muscles that need to be flexed for movement is a totally different paradigm shift for me. And I think that's the utility of, of doing some of this myofascial release stuff is if you have stuff that is chronically turned on, it shouldn't be. You know, if you're sitting down all day and your hip flexors are chronically turned on because you're you're in this, uh, you know, this front chain position where your hip flexors are locked up and chronically tensed. Then, when you stand, they're going to be turned on and they shouldn't be. And you're going to you're going to experience, you know, tightness and compensation as a result of that. So if you can release that, then your gait pattern is going to be more efficient. Where do you find? Do you, first of all, do you agree with with that? Is there anything that I that I miss? Any no, addendums I, to the? I actually agree with. 
I actually agree with Eric Tessie there. Um, I, I don't think you should fire muscles. I'm definitely not going to argue that right now, like debate it, because that could be a whole episode on itself, right? Um, <laughs> and we will. We but I, I do agree with that. Joint angles go first, right? And when you have the right joint angles, go to defined it already, right? Like the, what I would consider great joint angles, landing, leaving positions, bow and corner, all that, right? When you do that correctly, the, again, the tension doesn't build in your muscle muscular system where everything has to hold tense. The reason that your muscles have to fire so hard may be because you're in not great positions and your structure is off. So like, uh, you know, let's say you hold your core rigid and you're walking, you're out of balance at every step. You can't get any head motion. You can't land in balance. Your muscles are going to get stiff. Your body needs to be protected at any point of your walk because you're not in balance. Okay. And on a, on a deeper level, here it is. Like if you land in balance, you can let your muscles relax, but at any point you're not in balance, you can't be relaxed. Okay. Mm. So when you're not balanced, you are in a state of tension, more tension than you should have versus if you're in balance, if your head's over your foot, if you're in your columns, if you're, uh, if you're feeling safe, your muscles don't have to contract to hold you in place. Your fascial system and your joint angles will do that for you. Okay. So mm times that by whatever, 10,000 steps a day, if you're off balance at every step, then you're going to accumulate more tension. Okay. So, um, balance is really key in the, in the motion aspect of things. Uh, having those columns, having that head over foot, I cannot emphasize this enough. You will have to roll less, less, and less. However, a lot of people as well come from powerlifting backgrounds, bodybuilding backgrounds, CrossFit, it's like you have to roll at that point. Your body is tense, mm -hmm. tense, tense all the time. So you're kind of working against yourself in that uh, you're rolling so that you can, like the examples we gave at the start, you're rolling your lats so you can possibly do another uh, Olympic lifting session where you can get your arms over your head temporarily. And then, uh, and then it will tighten back up because you just, you know, did those heavy Olympic lifts and then you have to do it over and over again. So you're not making any headway. You're just allowing yourself to continue what you're doing. Okay. Mm. I want to make headway. I want to like, if I look at it more in the go to terms or, you know, balance terms, I'm making headway when I'm in my columns and in balance in terms of progressing my quote unquote myofascial release or my tissues in my body. I'm mm. progressing them to be less tense always. Okay. So then I could be in a more, sorry, less tense state and then things become easier. I can meditate easier. I can sleep better. I can digest better. This, this is a really interesting cause so I had a conversation with someone who responded to the poll that I took on Instagram and we had a little bit of a discussion cause he thought foam rolling was useless, but myofascial release had utility. And I said, okay, why do you think, um, you know, this, this, intervention doesn't have too, too much utility his his thing was like you know it doesn't create lasting change right so the 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 changes are, are temporary and the thing he said you know people in the wild don't foam roll before escaping a lion <laughs> and we were you know we were talking it was like you know he said this in his opinion it could be an entry point to improve movement temporarily but eventually it should be phased out 
meaning this idea that like once you have released these these uh chronically tense areas and you've improved it with movement and stuff you shouldn't need it on a regular basis now this is now we're getting into the two different goals right because when you're using myofascial release as a reactive tool in a weightlifting environment you are not going to progress that level of uh like, like muscle release the way that you just described if you're doing CrossFit all the time and you're using myofascial release to basically release these muscles that your exercise is making you tense. At that point, you're using it as a tug of war to kind of keep you in this sort of homeostatic state where if you didn't do it, then your muscles would chronically be tight because the exercises that you're doing are creating these muscular imbalances, these structural imbalances, because you're doing things that, that you said, like you said, are athletic endeavors, not biomechanically sound endeavors. If you're doing a practice like GOTA, or you're doing something to improve your posture or your biomechanics, then it should be phased out eventually because the patterns that you're practicing and that you're working towards should put you in a state where you're gonna be relaxed in the right places and tense in the right places just as a result of your joint angles and the pressure that you're putting. So foam rolling can either be something reactive where you're, again, like it's a tug of war between you're making yourself tense all the time and you're trying to release that tension, but eventually long-term that release is going to come as a skill, that depth is going to come as something that you're regulating your nervous system on your own. Well, what that person said is like, you should phase it out completely. Um, and if you're in the wild, you won't foam roll before you run a lion or whatever. First off, um, yeah, like, I see what he's saying, right? Like you shouldn't have to do it all the time. And the way most people do it, where you, you're foam rolling before a CrossFit session uh, for half an hour because your muscles are tense. Yeah, that's, that's not sustainable at all. But if you look at your body on the next level, if you wanna get to the next, next level and you wanna change tissues in your body, that's a different story. You wanna change them quick or you wanna change them slow. I'd rather change them quickly. Now I have the skills to do so and I'm telling you how I do it. I have high powered cupping, let's say my leg, right? For the longest mm. time I had a collapsed uh, ankle. Like I could not get the ankle up. Thank you, Goda, for uh, making me understand the inside ankle bone high, that was huge. But anyway, I had a ski accident. Um, the fibular head popped out. It was, it was a mess for a long time. Ankle collapsed, multiple ankle rolls. Uh, I couldn't get my lower leg aligned. So basically it was stuck to the inside. The outside tissues of my leg were taking a lot of stress and they weren't working properly. They were just basically hanging on for dear life. And I couldn't use them. I'd always get sore uh, throbbing uh, shins, right? Mm. So for me now, that uh, tissue was over in one direction for like 10 years. I can't just go inside ankle bone high and expect everything to be better. I had 10 years of tissue damage and different angles to deal with. So now I know what how to fix it through the ex, or through the internal inputs of me keeping my inside ankle bone high and the, and the angles of my shin that I need, but I can also take an external device like a the high-powered cupping that I do, drive blood into the tissue and accelerate creating new tissue. Okay? Mm. So if you want to hit the next level, that's not true. However, he's right. Like I wouldn't foam roll, like foam rolling for half an hour is a waste of time. The foam roller is pretty much a waste of time. Uh, a lot of that is true. 
However, do you want to look at your body and change a piece of tissue? If that's the level we're talking, he's wrong. Okay, so you can make changes in your tissues a lot faster if you understand how to uh, do the external inputs quickly. So that's, you know, myofascial release, like uh, some of the, the that I described, cupping, rolling, all that. And then put the internal inputs in as well. You doing the movement in the new range of motion. That is how to quickly change tissues. And for those who are listening and have been listening to the, 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 the devotees of the Art of Move podcast, we're working on putting together a course, like an actual instructional that goes really in depth with, with actual techniques. We talked a little bit about it in terms of, you know, how, how we're moving the skin and trying to get into the deep, deep tissues and everything. But we're going to do video breakdowns of this. We do these live on No Filter Net where it's a live stream video platform and you should be able to see them. Well, we do do, you know, movement demos and some demos here and there. And I'd love to do a, an episode of this with Will sometime and he can actually show some of these techniques in, in real time. But for those who want to dive deep, you know, in the next couple of months, we're going to be putting together a great course. So if you wanted to learn this, this in-depth stuff and, and, you know, basically have myofascial release and, and movement techniques that are on the level of like Will's clinical practice, then just check out the course that we put out essentially. Um, you know, so, so just to kind of summarize what we've talked about so far, myofascial release the way that most people do it is kind of useless in that they aren't creating a neurological adaptation they don't have the internal input in response to the external input which is to say they're jumping on a, a foam cylinder finding a place that is you know kind of sore and they're rolling back and forth while that might increase some blood flow and whatever it's not going to create a, a tissue or a nervous system adaptation because the internal input isn't there the difference in technique that you're using is you're going in, uh, you're also saying that if you can address the capsule or the joint, that's going to have much greater effect on your nervous system than just addressing certain muscles. Um, what you want to do is you want to get deep and as close to the bone as possible. You pull, you pull the, the tension and the slack out of the skin, you move the muscle and you try to get as deep into the bone as possible. And then from there, you're gonna have almost a fight or flight reaction. There's gonna be excruciating pain depending on how jacked up your tissues are. And the whole point of this practice is to condition your nervous system to be able to relax despite that stimulus, despite that sort of reaction, that pain reaction that you have. The more that you can relax consciously and ease in and melt into that sort of uh, tension, and not tense up, that's gonna condition your nervous system to release this nervous holding pattern within the tissue. That's the, the mind-muscle connection element there. Once you've done that, then you're not gonna have that sort of protective effect in your nervous system that inhibits movement, and then you can explore ranges of motion and movement in a slow and controlled way and teach your nervous system that movement in that range is safe to do. And that's really the utility of myofascial release is the ability to teach your nervous system that it is safe to move in certain ranges. Did I miss anything in that summary? Uh, no, that was great. Just the, um, the difference between mechanical tension and, and neurological tension, right? Um, mm. There's usually, like if you take a piece of tissue and you're, and you're like, what is making this tense? 
usually it's the uh, highly your nervous system. Your in, nervous system's inputting a certain tone to that muscle. But over a period of time, you're also mechanically adapting to that tone. So let's say it pulls, for an extreme example, let's say your nervous system is, uh, you know, you've had a knee injury and your quad has been pulling super tense because it's trying to protect that knee injury, right? Over a period of, let's say, two months of your muscle and your fascia being tense, it's going to turn mechanically tense. The forces are going to become, mm. uh, and tense may not be the right word. It may become more compressed. Forget about that. It's just, it's a tighter tissue. Okay. So at that point, now you have a mechanical issue as well to deal with. Your tissue has now adapted mechanically. The cells have been laid down in a shorter fashion. Okay. So now you mm. have, that takes longer to get rid of in terms of, how to switch things because you have, you have to input into the cells. Okay. You actually have to grow cells to make it longer now. Okay. So that may take a couple months. So it's not always just nervous system. However, nervous system is what you're changing in the immediate sense when you're rolling or when you're myofascial releasing in order to allow you to change the mechanic behind it. Hmm. So basically it's, it's giving you that short term ability to access these different ranges so that you can start laying down new tissue in those ranges. Um, the foam rolling almost creates the neurological adaptation in short term so that you can apply movement to create a mechanical adaptation long term. Yes, exactly. And, and let's not forget about when you're foam rolling, no matter, even if you're really terrible at it and you're just like on your phone and rubbing against it, you're still going to get blood flow, uh, you know, positive blood flow. So it's not a complete waste of time, but <laughs> it can be done on there's, there's levels to this, right. And it is skills and the skill really doesn't even, it, it becomes more about owning your own body. You are the owner of your body. Okay. So you have to be able to tune this body up. Okay. A lot of people don't look at it like that. They're like, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what it feels like to, to have, like people can't even feel their body, right? In general, mm. they don't know when something's wrong. It's like, I, I urge you to think of this like you own your own body and you're becoming really good at being the mechanic of your body. That's how to make changes over a period of time. If you look at that as a skill, it's actually much more important than building muscles to understand the feelings that come out of your body to understand where you're tense, where you're tight, how certain parts are supposed to move. How much movement do you have? Most people don't have that grasp. It's like, uh, I'm just in pain. I need to get rid of this pain. That's and that's really the, what it the reality is too. Cause, cause even if people see you, right. And they don't, they don't have that self-awareness that you're still as a therapist, an external input, but they still yeah. need that internal input. Like you could, you could go and start doing manual release therapy on one of your patients and they just tense up their whole body in reaction to the pain and not create that, not work on creating that internal awareness and they won't get much benefit from it because they aren't, you know, developing that skill that needs to be, you know, you can't rely on external stimulus for this stuff. You can't rely on other people. It's not like a car where you can just hire a mechanic to just fix it. You need to assume some level of responsibility for being involved in this process, right? Exactly. And, and on the therapy end of it, most people come in already in pain, right? Like they, 
they're there paying me to get rid of the pain, right? So it's a different goal, okay? But if we're talking movement, if we're talking, you know, mechanics and, and you know, the art of move, it's like you got to treat this like you own the body and you want to become the best mechanic there is, right? So it's really you're exploring, you're learning, you're, you're when you're rolling over a piece of tissue, you're letting your body know that you're, you care about it. Okay, so it becomes more than just, I'm gonna go on my phone and roll. It becomes, I'm reminding myself at each part of my body, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a touch and I'm, I'm telling my body or, or communicating with my, my body and my brain and, and you know where I'm at, okay? Where that tissue's at, the state of it, okay? So there's more to it than, than just uh, you know, going in and get your, your pain sorted. However, that's a thing as well, right? Like th that is a whole different story, getting rid of pain, okay? But in terms of uh, owning your body, having a rolling practice is a great way to learn where you're at. And it'll keep you out of pain too. I mean, like this is, this is one of these things that once you develop the skill, you'll be able to at least have some degree of internal awareness and some awareness of okay, I'm really tight here and it's pulling here and that's where the pain is coming from. And you can, you know, focus on releasing these, these links in your kinetic chain and you can get yourself out of pain. I think that's, you know, one, one of the, one of the things like I, I we could almost call the course that we're putting out the, the self body mechanic course, because that's kind of what we're trying to teach people. Um, I think the art of move to me represents this idea of developing an internal relationship with this physical vessel that you're embodying right like it's this you know movement itself requires to understand and to know yourself kinesthetic intelligence is, is, is its own unique form of intelligence and body awareness is, is a skill you know it's a skill as much as um, you know playing an instrument or writing or speaking or any of these things that you know like just having a, a, an internal awareness is something that you can practice and cultivate and develop Absolutely. And, and don't forget tissue itself dies. Okay. Like, um, I shouldn't say dies. Like let's, let's take a, a piece of muscle. Okay. Or let's say a whole leg. If I cut your thigh, okay. And I'm just looking at the thigh alone and I look at that muscle, it's not going to be uniform throughout. Okay. There's going to be pieces of the muscle that have scar tissue. There's going to be pieces that, um, are less useful than others. Like if you stretch a muscle, you're not evenly stretching that muscle. If you have a piece of scar tissue in there, you're going to stretch around the scar tissue more than the scar tissue itself. Okay. So there's history too. Like if you, if you're a person who's been injured a lot when they were younger and, uh, and all that, then myofascial release will be good in those areas. Like actually getting in there and physically touching them, uh, is going to bring a lot of fruit to that area. Like, Muscles and fascia are not uniform throughout. That's that's basically what it comes down to. Right. And that's, you know, that's that's where, you know, some of this release work can kind of even be more of a benefit to some stretching stuff. Because if you're stretching a muscle and you already have like a maybe a dysfunctional adhesion or something that's like a little more tight and you're stretching around that area, you can get into these parts that are really bound up and glued up 
and that, you know, if they, if you haven't moved something for a while and like you've said, you laid down this tissue and created this like sort of almost, I, I'm going to call it just a tissue adhesion. Um, stretching is like these adhesions can be really resistant to stretching and it'll take a long, long time to just stretch your way out of, you know, correcting some of these imbalances. So to wrap up today, because we, we covered a lot of ground and this is, you know, this is even new to me, even just yesterday, the stuff that we did, uh, you know, boggled my mind. And, and I've, I've, you know, I, I consider myself pretty practiced in myofascial release. I've done quite a bit of work on myself and I've used it really effectively, but the, the level of effectiveness that you showed me with that yesterday is like, it's a, it's a paradigm change. Like it was instant, like 10 X levels of results with the myofascial release from what I've normally done. I've done a lot of different stuff, man. So, um, you know, try to get deep into the joint. We're going to, I'd love to have an episode to talk more about your cupping machine and to talk specifically about, you know, that, that innovation I think is really, really cool. You're the only person I know who uses it. And, you know, when I Googled it, you're the, the only person who uses it in the way that you use it. So I'd love to talk more about that and kind of expose Definitely the, the only person a little bit. Doing it. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I kind of like discovered it myself, right? Um, mm -hmm. Cupping isn't new. But however, high powered cupping is new. Okay. So yeah. this is a whole different ball game. Like um it's a different stimulus. Cause as a therapist, we can, you know, something like take something like the knee. You can needle it, you can uh electrically stim it, you can do mobilizations on it, but there, mm. you really can't get into the cavity of the joint. However, if I put a giant cup on either end of the joint and I pump fluid and, and get that vacuum action in there it is affecting inside the joint this is a whole different ball game now i can affect insides of the joint the cavities okay so it's like and it's a it's a complete opposite stimulus that you can't get unless you have a vacuum okay so it's mm. automatic major blood flow into tissues that would take you forever to do another way so i'm really excited about uh showing this to, to people um, yeah, and that's, so. you know, that, that's a difference between the, you know, like when you're doing myofascial release, there's an external pressure pushing into you and where Will has this machine that's creating this vacuum and sucking tissues out and increasing this blood flow out, like you said, creating that vacuum effect. It's, <laughs> it's like this explosion as opposed to an implosion. The, the, it's, a, it's a tissue expansion as opposed to a tissue compression. And the effects are, my, like I said, I, I, I was blown away by what three minutes on my post-operative shoulder produced. It was insane. The instant results and, and relief from pain and uh, immediate increases in range of motion. And we'll, we'll do a whole episode and we'll talk about that because I think, you know, again, the world kind of needs to know about it. We might even start producing our own machines, which is, you know, I, I think we should, frankly. But anyways, guys, this is, this is episode 26 of the Art of Move. Um, one of my favorite episodes, I think, that we've, <laughs> recorded so far because again the the information for me has been so mind-boggling so so mind expansive and uh so so just to, to summarize again guys you know using the myofascial release techniques as a way to develop a mind muscle connection in the opposite of flexing the active skill of being able to relax and ease tension out of your body this is a useful practice this is the opposite of developing the skill of flexing your muscles, which is what weightlifting is principally for. Um, for those who are listening on iTunes and Spotify, we record these live on NoFilterNetwork, nofilter.net. 
where you can see our upcoming episodes. Uh, it's live and interactive. So if you ever have questions during the stream, you can actually ask us in the chat. You can hit the knock button and actually request to join the stream yourself, which I think is a really cool feature. Um, anytime people want to come on and either ask questions or bring up points that they disagree with or, you know, add to the conversation with things that we haven't thought of, we're all open for it. This is an open conversation about movement and the truth behind it. So thanks for listening, guys. This is episode 26. We'll see you next week for another episode of the art of move. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, guys. Let movement be your medicine.